Welcome to the Dope CFO Podcast, where you can find the best information for accountants and bookkeepers that want to start and grow a highly profitable and flexible remote cannabis accounting firm with your host, Andrew Hunziker. Now that's dope. Hey everybody, this is Andrew Hunziker, CPA, also CFO, founder of Dope CFO as well. About my background, I've been a CPA for over 25 years, was at a big four, including PricewaterhouseCoopers. I won the gold medal award for the highest score on the CPA exam, as well as was runner up for the Portland, Oregon Business Journal CFO of Year Award in 2017. And I was the first ever cannabis CFO to be nominated. Done lots of startup work as well. Um and love um, teaching all of our community. We have now over 500 people in all 50 states in our Dope CFO program. All right. Well, we will jump in. Um, I'm going to cover valuations at a super high level. Um, there's You can dive down this rabbit hole um, in a big, big way. There's many certifications if you're a CPA or accountant that you can add to your your letters behind your name if you so choose. Some of them are easier to get some harder. I'm definitely going to put in a link to um, my friend Ron, who's written the the book on valuations and appraisals in the industry. He teaches with me at AICPA as well, and he's been doing valuations for 40 years. Um, I warn, warn people, including CPAs, I would not do a valuation for a client unless I had those letters by my name and was certified. Um because it's a big topic, but again, we'll look at some of the high levels and we'll also go in to valuations versus, um, versus um, startup valuations, which is a little bit different. So let me dive in and um, we will go from there. I'm not going to read what all we're going to cover because we're going to cover it. Um, there's always a couple slides in here just about the market size. Um, I'm going to actually cover this a little more recent slide than this. These forecasts come up from all kinds of websites and news organizations, and they get bigger every single year that they do these. The They always underestimate the growth, and that's not going to quit. Um, and layered in, and really this is kind of a good slide because it goes back to 2020, but the last three years, the compliance via the IRS, Inspector General, et cetera, they're coming after this industry. There's no question about it. It's easy tax dollars. And so it's a good messaging to our clients. Hey, you better be doing accounting and tax right um, because the IRS is coming. Hopefully you know who I am. I'm a CPA. I teach for the AICPA as well as um, speak all over the U.S. on Forbes or TD Ameritrade or Journal of Accountancy, Accounting Today, et cetera. Um, we feel like our network leads the nation as well, which is not such bigger than me. All the, the cumulative 500 of us in our Dope CFO VIP network, the depth and breadth, um, we're in every state with every skill set is unparalleled, even at the national firms. And so we're kind of cool. We're leading the way in this in this movement in a cool thing. Um, let's jump in in case you're newer. Um, yeah, Tyson, good point on throw questions in chat because I can't see the um, question bar, but I can see the chat bar. The industries, the verticals, and the complexity. Um, I often get the question that I said the same thing. Um, what what has to um, 
be so different about this industry. Um, so there's a lot of complexity, and we'll hit this these over the next few slides. Um, this slide is a precursor. Um, if you're an accountant or CPA coming into this niche, um, this was a current recent book I was reading. Actually, I got for my son <laughs> who turned 18, How to Measure Your Life, written by a former Harvard MBA professor who got cancer and now died. He used to have a class, How to Measure Your Company, um, and he wrote a book, How to Measure Your Life. Really good read if you haven't read it. And whenever he looks at any new business or model, he's like, what's the one thing that has to prove true for this to work? And so if you're sitting there as an accountant or bookkeeper and you're thinking about going into this niche, there's many things that will flow from the one thing, but what is the the key main one thing that needs to work for you to succeed in this industry? I would contend, I thought about this for quite a while, and this relates to my company and or your company, industry growth. If the industry continues on this hockey stick growth that it's on now, which every indication is it will continue growing, it's grown through COVID, it's grown through recessions, it's backed by Republicans and Democrats and independents, it's going growing globally, the medicine's real, there's nothing stopping this movement, in my opinion. Um, and that's good news, because that's the one thing that needs to happen for us all to be successful. There, Here's another lens to look at this from Grandview Research. And and if the way I look at this, 2022, look at that, look how small that little bar is. The market was humongous in 2022. We're illegal now in almost 47 states. We have close to 200,000 cannabis companies or CBD hemp companies. And that bar is going to triple in size over the next seven years. So that bar, it took 10 years to get that tiny little bar. The next seven years, we're going to see that bar double or triple. So the growth, especially the eastern half of the U.S., is simply going to be massive. This is another slide. Um, yeah, there, there's the actual number of companies, um, 165,000, and that's not even CBD and hemp. And then on the right, seeing the growth, it's no matter what news organization you follow or what lens you look at this, the growth will be massive. Um, there's at the same time a shortage of qualified accountants and bookkeepers to serve this niche. So it's a perfect storm. And oh, by the way, regional and national firms are absolutely swamped and understaffed with their current industries. And so they are getting into cannabis. Um, many of them are friends of mine on the AICBA Cannabis Committee, um, but they are having a major staffing hurdle. So for them to, to field 10, 20 people in their thousand person firm um, into the cannabis division, they're doing pretty good, um, but they're still way behind the dope CFO world. And not only is the industry growing, but um, you're going to see company growth as well. And we, you know, I can look at my hometown, Bend, Oregon, 80,000 people in the middle of nowhere. We started with 23 dispensaries. Um, right now, we have about 100 cannabis companies in this tiny little market. Um, and they they survived many up and down cycles. They're growing. Um, my former dispensary client went from one to four, added a farm. He has a coffee shop. Um, so you'll see growth at every stage of the vertical. And we have to be ready to deal with compliance, um, all kinds of audits, financial and IRS audits, M&A, capital raises, um, valuations, which we're going to talk about, and expansion of software as well. So this is kind of what, again, what that 
and I'm still on kind of the high level market look, um, industry growth is going to lead to many new companies. That 200,000 number, in my opinion, is too low. It's probably three or 400,000 new companies. Now, now, many of them will go under as any new industry. We're going to have lots and lots of startups and will have failures along with that. Doesn't matter that much. I've, I've served two you think two or three failed startups in cannabis, and I made a ton of money on both of them. Um, there's lots of opportunities um, to build your VIP, valuable expertise, instructor, and participant in the niche, and interact with many companies and CEOs, no matter where you are. Um, that means you're going to have a continual funnel of new leads. That means you can make offers, and the X number of offers will lead to client number one. Um, and once you get that client one, in my opinion, that is all it takes to build a 10-year sustainable business. Because if you knock the socks off client number one with what I call a top-shelf product and you deliver it with white glove service, you will have a happy customer, um, hopefully a raving customer. And as we've seen many times over, that is all it takes. One customer, we've seen that over and over in our Dope CFO program, has led to many. Um, if you doubt me, listen to my podcast um, Tyson, maybe you can find these. Carlos is one example. One client led to many. Mark and Betsy, we did a podcast there in Minnesota. They built an entire East Coast practice um, off one happy client. So it really works. Again, these ideas are simple. You know, have a great niche, become an expert, find a client, deliver an absolutely world-class product and deliver it with white glove service. Not complex. Um why is this, and again, this is going to layer in behind the valuation. Why is it good? Why is it hard to be a good cannabis CFO? Why is it hard to do a cannabis valuation? It's complex as heck. Um, many vendors won't hit this industry. We've got a lot of verticals. We've got farming, chemical processing, manufacturing, distribution, retail dispensaries, wholesale, delivery companies, testing labs, I go on and on. Ancillary companies and you might have one client that's in four to six of these of these sub niches they might also be in hemp and cbd horizontal as well as vertical so it gets really complex it requires cost accounting it requires tools and systems it's messy as heck and um, it, it needs um, again the dope cfo business model is hey why don't i go very very deep with three to five clients to build my million dollar firm as opposed to um you know, getting 50 to 100 bookkeeping or 50 to 100 tax return clients at a very low low pay um, and a very stressful business. Lots of um, software issues, whether it's seed to sale, POS system, manufacturing systems, accounting systems. Um, sometimes they'll connect with each other. Sometimes they won't. I prefer not to connect them. That often leads to more trouble um, than letting them connect. Um Many of these are buggy and expensive. Uh, we have a lot of discussion in this in our group as well. You're going to see lots of uh, messy org charts, consolidations, com combinations, standalones, all in one company, um, well as complex funding structures. Lots of workarounds are required, messy controls and governance, um, and a need for lots of startup support as well. This I just put into my own group last week, our VIP group, because we were, again, talking about this top shelf product idea. And I keep coming back to, look, everybody, the bar is ridiculously low if you are a accountant, bookkeeper, CPA. The simple fact of the matter is most companies in that rapid growth range, which I call 1 million to 20 million of revenue, have not just 
Poor books, absolutely horrible books. I got a, did a poll of my group, got 46 votes. There was actually, this is even a little deceptive, the 1% selection in Facebook, that was zero votes. The 2% was one vote. So we only had one vote above 3%. And the question was, again, how many of you have ever in your entire career found a company in this um, revenue range that had a really rock solid set of books with a permanent audit trail? And the answer is basically, you know, on 45 of the votes, nobody. It just in their entire career. And so then you say, well, who the heck's doing the books for all these companies all over the U.S.? And it seems to not matter what state you're in. And it doesn't matter if you're a big four auditor like I was or a full-time CFO or have clients. The answer is always the same. I've, I'm now pretty cynical and you're going on to your 30. The, the, just the block and tackling the base level accounting controls, bookkeeping is horrific. And so that what does that mean? Oh, I can just come in and do an okay job and I've lifted the bar and made my clients um, much happier. So my contention is if you have a way to deliver an actual really top shelf product um, with great service, you're you're greatly ahead of the game. Investor concerns, this is where valuations will start to creep up. And we'll talk about this. Many valuations are done um, due to litigation. That's one of the big use cases. Um, where did the litigation come in cannabis? Well, a lot of times investors and or founders suing each other, even if these people used to be friends or buddies or lifetime, even family. Um, so it's, it's, when money's involved, um, things better be done well. And so even you can Google our, our MedMen case study. They're very, very humorous, some of these huge companies. And by the way, not a day goes by on the main cannabis journals, MJ Biz Daily, Entrepreneur. There was one today, a $60 million fraud, yet another one. It's literally endless. So not only is the accounting bad, you've got all kinds of, of um, fraudulent things happening, even at sizable companies, but you have all this capital wanting to come into the space. These investors, they should and could and, and can demand good financial accounting tax controls, et cetera. They're going to be more demanding. We're already seeing this definitely in the eastern half of the U.S., um, they want the accounting and books done. They want controls. They want governance. They want to, to make sure the tax is done correctly. They want their license protected. We saw a Massachusetts company lose their license um, simply because their CEO went on an Instagram rant and they, they lost three dispensary licenses worth probably $20 million. I would be pretty unhappy if I was one of the, the investors in that organization Um and then audit failures as well. Valuations are also very important to raising capital. Now, this is a whole different slideshow presentation we have. Um, these are kind of my high level, and there's many sub-level keys to raising capital. We want a great team, first and foremost. And many of you probably have seen pitch decks in the cannabis space. Usually, they have way too many slides on their product and how they grow the world's best weed. And then their team is, you know... 28-year-old CEO that used to work um, as a teller at a bank or, a you know, over at Home Depot. Now they're CEO. So pretty light on team, product person. I've never found a deck that actually had a CFO in it. <laughs> um, it's like, hey, you're raising money. You better have a CFO on your team that knows what's up. Um, well thought out capital and entity structure, both the funding structure and the entity structure. And meeting the goals of, there is no 
one size fits all. You know, if you have three founders and four investors, they all may have different goals on their versus asset protection versus um, tax minimization or elsewhere. So we got to dig in to find out the best structure. Sometimes attorneys are just telling, oh, you just need eight entities and that's the way it goes. That's not correct. So let's let's push back um, for our clients on the attorneys and make sure they have actually a reputable attorney on their team. And if not, let's help them find one as a world-class CFO. Um, complete accurate model. We're going to look at that as well. And a good roadshow plan, including CFO support. You know, we were at MJ uh, Unpacked last year in Vegas and I felt sorry, a great company and actually one of our dope CFO certified advisors went on to meet and talk and help them out. He actually followed them out of the room and it was, they got pretty much embarrassed. They had professional investors grilling the CEO and the product guy and they didn't know what EBITDA was. They didn't know what the revenue growth was. They needed a CFO up on stage with them and they got really pretty embarrassed. And luckily John and our group went out, followed them out in the hall and um, and really helped them after that. Okay, let's dive in. And by the way, I'm going fast because I know you all are all busy and I try to keep all these under an hour. The last part of this, um, definitely people who are in the program don't need to hear that. It'll be on the our program and the, the pricing, but I'll try to get through the main slide so you can carry on with your, your busy day. Um, business valuations, that process instead of procedures used to estimate the economic value of an owner's interest in a business. And um, there's many techniques, but it comes to the question, what is the value? And there's actually different ways. There's fair value, there's fair market value, there's lending value, there's appraised value. There's lots of, of deep rabbit holes you can go down here. But at the end of the day, when I'm looking at, at and it also depends what you're using it for. This may be different if you're in a litigation versus if you're trying to sell 10% of your business. What's fair value of your business? Well, it's whatever you can get somebody to pay you for and write you a check for for 10% of your business. So if you say your business is worth a million bucks and someone gives you a hundred grand, you are right. <laughs> and nobody else is. So that's that's the end of the day. It's kind of a, uh, in the open market, uh, a arm's length buyer and seller that can complete a transaction, assuming they have good knowledge as well. Um, because yeah, and again, the fraud that was in the paper today was exactly that. This were these were um, CEOs that were celebrities, and they tricked they tricked people into giving them money. So that's not fair value. That's a trick and fraud. <laughs> so we want to make sure we're not going down that as well. Here are some of the uses. S startups is its own ball of wax. And I'm going to talk about that separately. So in our program, and many of you out there, we're going to find many, many, literally probably 200,000 startups raising money over the next two to four years. And when they raise money, more often than not, they don't have assets. They don't have a piece of real estate yet. They don't have revenues because they're a startup or cash flows. And so their valuation is basically based on a forward-looking financial model that is not how a backward-looking valuation is done. So we'll look at them separately. Um, but the rest of these will be for existing companies. So maybe a company needs a loan and the, the lender says, hey, I want to value the company. Or maybe M&A, um, they're doing a merger or an exit. Um, litigation is a humongous one. I think my friend Ron told me maybe 70%, and he's been doing valuations for 40 years now, um, full-time, that's his firm. 
litigation is huge. Co-founders, investors, divorces, and more. And there's a lot of money um, in that whole industry right there. And you know, when the investors split up, they want a professional evaluation from a certified appraiser to say, what is this mess worth? And we want to make sure we get our share. Another one, Biggie, is tax and estate planning. People will set up an LLC and get part to their kids, and they need to value a, a minority interest in an LLC as well. These valuations can be all over the place. Um, I often tie this to real estate. So I can like when my wife and I owned a building in a really Bend, Oregon, very hot real estate market, she bought it for, I forgot, a few hundred thousand. Um, but when we went to take a loan against the building, they came in with a very tight appraisal on the building. And then when we went to sell it three years later, that was one value. Then we got a, a value from the realtor coming in saying, well, I think this is what we could sell it for based on comps and market. Um, and then even my wife was like, no. I don't care what the comps are. I don't care that the whatever comps are $100 a square foot for this commercial building on this block. We're selling our building for $150 a square foot um, because I fixed it up. And guess what? My wife was right. We we went above comps. Um, so the valuation by a pro would have said we're wrong. But my wife in the end was right because we got someone to pay us in real hard, cold money um, that she was right. Somebody is my wreck. We sold um, the building in like the first day we put it up. So you can see that valuation is kind of a moving target. There's a ton of subjecti subjectivity in it as well. So let's look first at existing companies. Um, if someone needs evaluation, they're probably going to use a firm that um, is specifically trained and mostly does this. ABV, a CFA, ASA, um, don't grill me on, on how to get any of those. Um, they, they take some time and effort um, to get those. Most of those those CPAs that have those certifications are going to look through kind of three different lenses at any valuation. We'll look at all three of those. Um, fair market value is usually the approach used. Um, you could do a valuation based on, because I've seen this, where say two partners get in a dispute and there is a definition. Here is what our, here's how we define fair value in our LLC doc. If we ever get in a dispute, we define it as two X board revenues plus one X prior revenues. They could just make up a formula and have a valuation expert come in and verify based on the standard they made up in their agreement. And valuation in cannabis is going to be hugely infused influenced by location and market. So for example, my home state, Oklahoma, live in Oregon now, I don't know, 3,000 dispensaries, some insane number of dispensaries for a, a small population state. Um, my parents live off of May Avenue, Oklahoma City, and literally on the busy street, one mile from their house, on one side of the street, I, within one mile, there were five dispensaries. That's nuts. It'd be like having five 7-Elevens next door to each other. So if you go to sell your dispensary in Oklahoma, good luck. You're going to get probably a really low value um, to sales. If you sell a dispensary in Oregon or Colorado, depending on the market and cycle, so in an up cycle, maybe you get 
1.5x sales. In a down cycle, maybe you get 0.8. Also, depending on what location, like in my hometown, there's great locations of dispensaries and there's crappy ones. Um, so many factors will come into play. Um, and then you go to a state like, say, Chicago, Illinois, we saw licenses. The dispensary wasn't even built. There were no sales. There was nothing other than a license. We saw those go for millions of dollars. So, um, a a lot of variation as well. Um, another issue with valuing, say, farms, and this is goes goes to public markets as well. You can go Google a lot of these publicly traded cannabis companies. Most of them are in Canada. They they lose money just hand over fit year after year. It's huge losses. Um, and how the heck do you value those? Um, it's tough. And 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 by the way, public markets any day point in time, we're getting a evaluation every single day. So if if I own Tesla stock, maybe a year ago, it was worth 2x what it is today, because that's the, what the public markets do. And we see that valuations change over time as well. Now, if when two, if and when, and I'm pretty certain 280E will go away, because I think cannabis will be descheduled in the next couple of years, that's going to have a very positive impact on valuations. We just don't know how much. Some people say three to five X. Um, and a lot of the people investing money and losing money in farms and dispensaries, that's what they're playing for, that big valuation boost at, at that as well. Now, now to me, this is where most of us here are going to deal with valuations and startups. And I, I don't call this the, um, gosh, I'm having a brain death of what I would call this for a startup. And I've done, by the way, I've been involved in many startups as CEO and CFO. Um, and I built these models and it's funny, I've it's it's total fiction. You just it's like, okay, how much money do we think we need? A couple million? Okay, we need the value to be 10 million, so we can only give up 20% of our company. And so you just kind of work your way in backwards through a model that makes sense. Um, but but they're really all fiction until someone gives you some money to invest. And the farther along you are in your startup, if you have a license and maybe a building, you'll get more, a higher valuation. But again, most of these valuations are built off a financial model and a pitch deck, um, which we have in our program as well. And and then they go out and do a roadshow and try to convince an investor into giving money. Now, where are we right now? 2022, equity came onto the sidelines. There were very few deals done. And so it was incredibly hard. If you raised equity, your valuation was going to get beaten down to the ground. You could come in and say, hey, my company's worth 10 million, my farm, and I want you to give me a million dollars. And they're going to be like, yeah, we'll give you a million. But instead of getting 10% of that company, we're going to take 55%. And that's just the way it is. It's all negotiated. These are less formal and formal valuations. And these are are simply nego negotiated between founders and investors. And that's the way it's been in high tech for 20 years. And it will continue um, as well in this space. The And many times, by the way, yeah, the, the cannabis company won't have many assets, or if any, other than their license, hopefully they have their license. And the first startup I worked for, Hi-Fi Farms, didn't even have their license. And I think some of the investors thought they did have the license. And when I got over there, I, I was like, what the heck? You don't have the license. And I found out they were missing all kinds of P 
pieces of the license and I basically did it myself. And it took me about two months and a lot of hours to get their license issued. And I, I made a lot of investors happy, again, just finding where value was needed. And I delivered it um, because the people out there growing pot on the farm weren't thinking about things like that. <laughs> um, and again, how do you value something with fewer no assets or no revenues? Um, you can't look at comparables, really, um, because you don't know if it's a startup. I mean, you might be able as a startup to simply look at a few comparables in the market. Um, but again, if you have no assets, you can't do that approach either. Now, one other piece of this is valuing a minority interest. This is less than 50% ownership of a company. These will be done in legal disputes and... Um, trusts and estates and tax planning, oftentimes you'll see, well, what's what's 25% of this company worth, this LLC? Well, you're going to get in those valuations, these are even really subjective. <laughs> um, there's going to be a lot more subjectivity because it's like, okay, say I own 10% of that farm. And actually I've seen this. I dealt with a 33% owner of a dispensary in Portland, and he was very unhappy. He was getting hit with K-1 tax taxable income every year with zero distributions, and he was very unhappy, but he couldn't change the company. He had no control of distributions, and guess what? He couldn't sell his interest because who wants to buy a one-third interest in a company? So that very fact that the interest is, is not very marketable, it's hard to sell a minority interest in a company to anybody. Of any company. Um, secondly, the lack of control makes those shares even weaker. So if you, if the valuation expert came in and said, okay, this dispensary is worth 5 million and you own 25%, that doesn't make your share worth 1.25 million. Your two, your 25% may only be worth 300 grand because you're going to have a lot of trouble selling it. So that that's even more complexity as well um, into this. So let's dive in now into the three common approaches um, to how a professional would do this. And I do not have these letters behind my name. So again, I'm going to refer you to someone else at the a later slide where you can get more um, detailed information on this. But I know enough and dealt with these enough to know at least the high level concepts. So we're all accountants. The asset approach is pretty simple. What are their assets? And what are their liabilities? And how do we look at the fair value or market value of each? And so sometimes it's easy, like, okay, they got a hundred grand in the bank. Okay, I think that's worth a hundred grand. Um, they've got receivables of 50 grand and 40 grand of those receivables are a year and a half old. We're gonna start looking, okay, um, what's net realizable value of, of receivables? Then we go to equipment and it says, you know, whatever, the equipment's worth $5 million. But then we look at it, it's like, ah, oh, the equipment's pretty beat up. So you really have to walk down each asset. Um, and then what about when you look to IP or their brand? How the heck are you going to value that? That's really tricky. Um, how much is the Apple logo worth? You um, so they'll have to look at that. And same with liabilities. Are all the liabilities first and foremost complete and recorded? You can't just trust that they give you their balance sheet. They might have done 280E wrong for four years and owe the IRS a million dollars, and that's not on their balance sheet. I have seen that many times in this industry. So be careful on the liability side as well. Um, but you got to go go line by line and see if they're in compliance. Yeah, are they, yeah, what if they're out of compliance with state license and the whole 
identities at risk. That can make the asset approach zero. Um, there's no, no downside to that. Income approach, this can be tricky in cannabis as well because they're going to be looking at cash flows, revenues, growth, EBITDA, cash flow from operations as well, um, maybe even free cash flow. They'll be looking at these different metrics. And sometimes, you know, if they were looking at, say, I don't know, a furniture company that's been around 20 years and has real steady growth and steady cash flows, you can get a, a better feel for discounting those forward cash flows. And by the way, this is what Warren Buffett does, been doing for his career, you know, looking at those those cash flows and discounting them back to come up with a valuation in today's dollars. That's almost literally impossible to do in cannabis. It, how on earth are you going to do that? With a dispensary, with a farm, we just have no idea what, what's going to be out there three years or four years. Um what affects a farm's income? Well, what about production? What if they get hit by a pesticide or a fire? Or what if um, they lose their license? Or what if what if their plants were supposed to yield a pound a pot per plant and they only are yielding half a pound? There's just a hundred things. Or market pricing. Pricing for a pound of weed in Oregon has gone up and down three different times between like 200 a pound to 2,000 a pound. The numbers are all over the place. Very, very difficult to do that as well on the income side. So I guess I'm trying to emphasize in all this, there's very, there is a little bit of science to this, but at the end of the day, there is a ton of subjectivity to doing valuations. Uh, market approach would be maybe better. So at a point in time, like there was a point in time when a Canadian, big Canadian player came down to Oregon and was literally going to almost every single dispensary and offering, you know, 1X sales. And many of them sold out. And that point in time, we had a pretty good indication. Well, okay, dispensary, depending on the location, was around around this ballpark. Um, location can be a biggie too, though, because even in my tiny um, market of Bend, Oregon, like there's a couple of amazing sites. Like we're a huge tourist town, and like in the tourist area, uh, I could I could name one. Tokyo Starfish is just in the thick of things right there, um, and some other ones are on side streets that you'd really have to go looking for to find. So that can be be difficult as well. Um, but definitely, you will never until we have a national market, you will never be able to compare, say, a dispensary or farm in Oregon to one in Colorado or anywhere else. It just doesn't happen. So just keep that in the back of your head as you're you're going through that. Now, normally, if you've seen one of these, you hire the CVA or whoever to come in and value the farm, they're going to give you like a 60-page report, and they're going to talk about all the things they looked at and, and a long look through each of those three lenses. And then they're going to say, well, in this market, income approach doesn't really mean anything because your company has no income. And we we feel more confident with the market approach or whatever. So they'll kind of come in with their own take and they'll come up with a number. And, and just because, so let's just say valuation firm A comes to value my farm in Oregon and they tell me it's worth 2 million. I can hire another professional valuation firm in Portland, Oregon, and they might give me a totally different number. They might say it's worth 3 million. So does that mean one's right and one's wrong? No, because it's, there's a lot of subjectivity. Um, but if you're using these for litigation or things like that, 
usually what's going to happen is you're either going to get more than one valuation or the parties are going to agree on the appraiser. And then that's that. Um, if you agree on the appraiser and the appraiser says it's worth X, that's what the court's likely going to uphold. Okay, let's dive in a little deeper to startups and what we're, we will see much more of in our neck of the woods. Um, financial models, I have reviewed hundreds of these over the years. I prepared dozens of them myself. Going back to 2004, um, when we raised $40 million to launch a drilling company in Oklahoma, um, and, and we successfully raised that amount of money all the way and to a successful exit as well. So I'm very familiar with these. And um, most of the ones I see and my team sees and even seeing through Dope CFO VIPs are, again, a train wreck. The Just the basic math. If someone sends me a model, the very first thing I do is is I try to spend 10 minutes and just see where their mathematics are broken the or sale, cells are broken or whatever. It's usually very easy to find because people make these models and they start updating them and then other people get their hands in and they're just, there's no control over them. So these should be very simple, easy to read, accurate, agree with your deck. Um, and by the way, by simple, I mean five tabs at most. Most models I see have have about 40 tabs and they're just endless tabs on their product um, and very little of what I actually want to see. I want to make sure I got a balance sheet, a P&L, cash flow statement for years one to five, um, could have P&L for year one only. Very, very important. We need an assumptions tab. Um, we need to show who's ever looking at this, the investor, what assumptions are you using? How many pounds are you growing every quarter and year? What pricing are you putting on that? What is your payroll plan? How many field hands do you have on the farm? What's your executive team look like? Um, on and on and on. What are the assumptions and are they realistic? And oh, by the way, are there switches and inputs? So if you tell me you're going to sell your weed at a thousand a pound for the next five years, I can go in and change that thousand number to 2000 and it will flow through the entire model. A good model will have those what ifs so an investor can play around with those to see what happens if pricing crashes. Um, I also want a summary tab, Brighton Center, because I want to see what are the key metrics and expected returns. I may not even want to go any farther. If I look at this summary and by year five, they're projecting year five, we're going to sell 300 grand a pot and make 50 grand. That's all I need to know because <laughs> um, usually you're overestimating. And if you're estimating those low of numbers, I don't want to be involved and most investors won't. So I want to know IRR. I want to know what the offer is. Are you selling half the company, 10%? What's your valuation? Um, what different returns? I want to be able to do scenario analysis. What happens if your assumptions are not right? What's the best case, worst case, and expected case? Um, almost everything I've just talked about, I usually see none of this in models that I see. So again, low-hanging fruit. The, the stuff you'll find when you just meet a client and you see their model is usually going to be bad. So that means we have lots of room to improve it. Um, and investors appreciate it. I can go in and defend a model I make and say, look, here's what I expect is going to happen. I know how many pounds of weed we can grow. I know that, you know, here's the price now, but here's a reasonable expected model. And oh, by the way, 
Yeah, we've looked at worst case. What happens in year three if a fire comes through or pricing crashes? We've looked at that and we know, yeah, we may need another million dollars in year four if something really bad happens. And they look at you and say, okay, you've thought this through and you, you've taken different scenarios. You're not just creating a model that says we're going to make one gazillion dollars in four years and you're going to be the, the Starbucks of cannabis. I hear that one a lot. Um. For startups, this is a good slide. Mostly art and very little science. So even in an existing company in cannabis, you're getting a lot of subjectivity in a startup. It's just so many factors. Like so many investors will tell you they would rather have a great team with an okay product than a great product and an okay team. And so how do you value a great team? What's that worth? I mean, it could be worth a lot of money. <laughs> um what, what about IP and brand and name and all that stuff? So how do you evaluate all these things? It's, it's at the end of the day, it's really negotiated because anyone can form a startup. It's pretty easy. In Oregon, it's very easy. Oklahoma, it's easy. Maybe a little harder, say, Illinois um, for now. But it's you can form that startup and you can say, here's what you think you'll do and here's what you think your valuation is. But until you raise that money, um, it's all fiction until somebody writes you a check. Um, and when the day you write the check, now you've got one data point. So if your valuation is 10 million and you're raising 3 million and one person gives you a million, you got one data point. And if you get five more people to give you money, all of a sudden your valuation starts to look more real because you've got more data points. Aha, here's the guide. Um, you can Google this on Amazon, Cannabis Industry Accounting Appraisal Guide. Um, Ron Sr. is world-class, amazing guy. Been doing this for years. Um, he is very, very late in his career, um, but he still loves it and is doing this and is volunteering his time at a state level and a national level. So I, I will highly recommend this. By the way, I don't get any money for this, but but um, just love Ron and, and the work he does. So this would be a good guide to get. And it just was reissued here a couple months ago. <clears throat> does anyone have any Questions, Tyson, did I miss anything? Um, where are we? Minute 40. We're that's all the main content, and that book will take you on a deeper dive. But I think I hit the high-level concepts pretty good. If you want to stay around and learn about the dope CFO program, I will run through that and then um I think we'll have a link at the end. If you want to watch a more detailed video on our program and book a call with me, I do talk to everyone who joins our program. Um, you can um, do that as well. No questions. Everyone knows this. It's a, I love this whole niche of valuations. It's going to be booming. So over the next five years, we are going to see a massive amount of M&A, exits, litigation, and tax planning. So there will be lots of need for, for valuations, but also even more need, I think, for the next two or three years, startup help and doing the financial models that we can do without those letters behind our name. Okay, our, our Dope CFO 5.0 program, I think I could really say 6 to 7.0 at this point, um, but I'm too lazy to change it. We've even last year, we're in year six going on seven. I think I added 15 new work papers last year into our program. We updated all the cost accounting work papers, so we will get um, – get that as well. We also launched a franchise. We're very, very, very small. <laughs> um, 
for this is the VIP program is amazing for people that want to go even a step deeper than VIP. And um, we will take some of our cur- current customers and make them a franchise owner. Um, we only have five at this point and we'll probably have, have 10 by the end of the year. Um, you, whether you're, whether you're buying our VIP program, which, which is the same as the other 500 VIPs in the program, um, or you want to have a franchise later, you're a very important point. Um, Tyson, can you tell the question person to toss it in chat? Cause I can't see it. Um, but again, this is really, I've dealt now with a lot of you. And I had that slide early on that said, it said what out of out of 50 people, their entire career, let's say they've each dealt with 10 companies, that's 500 companies, most of the books are a wreck. And like you're thinking, who's doing the books at those companies? They're all a wreck. Is it you? <laughs> Is it, it's like the question when they ask, they ask the average person, are you a better driver than the average driver? And 95% of people answer, yes, we all think we're better than, than average drivers. And maybe the same here, we all think we're good accountants. Something's off. The, the accounting, and I know it, the accounting is really bad in this industry. So I know there's a lot of people doing a little, a little, um, to, and actually, let me go ahead and hit this question before I dive in, because this is on the valuation into intangibles. Um, so yeah, the normally someone's not going to value just the IP. I mean, and if they are, it's going to be really tough. Where are they going to find comparables? Cash flow is going to be hard. You, The asset approach is just subjective. So, you know, I mean, think about it. If, if, if someone told you, what is the Nike brand worth? I don't know. Nobody knows. I mean, maybe it's worth, or we know what Nike's worth because we can go look to the public markets, but how much of that is the brand versus the cash flows? I don't know. So I would maybe dive in. They do talk about that into the book. I think that's a very, very tricky, um, tricky one. And, and really at the end of the day, same with me, Dope CFO. It's a national name brand. Um, so Ken, do you want to buy it from me? I, I think Dope CFO brand's worth 5 million bucks. I'll sell you half of it for four. And four million. Send me a check, and we'll we'll see if that works. I mean, that that's all done in humor, really. But again, I know our brand's worth a lot, and but it's just hard to hard to value that. But again, going back to you people in the program, um, if you're going to run your own firm, you got to be professional. You got to be extremely responsive and reliable. I'm going to stop right there. Most of our competition is completely the opposite. They are not responsive and they are not reliable. They are too busy. They Their business model, whether it's a solo bookkeeper or a national firm, they're taking too many clients with too low of staff. And so they're not responsive. They're not giving white glove service. They're barely getting the basics done. And that's why these books are a wreck everywhere. Um, they're not, you know, five years ago, I would have said all accountants are organized and meticulous. If you ask me that same question today, now teaching so many of you out there, I would say it's less than 10%. If you're not organized and meticulous, I would go take a training program on how to um, become that. Same on time management, time practice management. Um, I, I kid this. I am very, very busy. I have people sending me messages via five or six social channels on Slack. I think I have six emails, um, all kinds of groups in Facebook. 
I get to inbox zero pretty much daily um, because I do something with it. I put it on a to-do list. I give it to someone else. I delete it, whatever. Um, it can be done. So um, no matter how busy you are, we can actually manage our um, our workflow. So that I, I say that because it's very important to your success, whether you buy my program, somebody else's program, you take a degree program, or just you open your business with no program, you've got to have those skills. Um, I'm not going to spend much time on this. Um, I do get different how much your program costs, da, 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 da. Um, a better question is ROI, because I don't care if you pay me 50 grand or five grand or somebody else, um, you're investing in yourself and your company, time and dollars, and you should get payback as quick as possible. And you should have a massive ROI, whether you go to a community college like I did to get my CPA at night when I was 27, um, I got massive ROI on that. <laughs> um, I, I didn't go to Harvard. Um, I, I had to go back to school because I didn't get an accounting degree my first time. Um, what um, what websites to follow, et cetera. So if you want to go all into this niche, a be- good question is, and I had the same question and there was no answer when I did this eight years ago. Holy crap, I want to be an expert immediately. And by expert, I mean software, the politics, the brands, the compliance, the the industry, and then the accounting and the tax codes and all that stuff, the court cases as quickly as possible. How can I get there as quickly as possible? Well, um, there's not a quicker way than our program, but that would be a better question. Our program is, is in my mind, pretty simple. We got to find great clients and we got to provide them world-class service. Um, I say that's the same whether you're a plumber, an attorney, an accountant, running your own business, same deal. Got to find clients, got to serve them well. Um, That's the secret to success. Um, The secret sauce in my program is becoming a VIP, a valuable expert in all things cannabis, not only accounting and tax, but all things, um, instructing and participating that will help you find the clients quicker and easier. And once you have the clients, you'll serve them better service because you truly are an expert in the niche. You actually know what you're doing and get this industry. You're not dabbling in four other industries. You're all into this one. Um, And that's the way our program is built around that concept. Our program is cloud-based. It's yours for life. Um, Whether you drop out of community or not, um, our course keeps getting better and better because we keep adding new things and improving old things. Um, We've helped many, many people. I'm not going to read all these testimonials. You can see them here. You can see them on our website. Um, We've helped many, many people. And I think people tell me where they learn the most really is our podcast. I have 120 episodes now, I think. And I think about 80 of those are Dope CFO VIP members. And they will just tell you, (laughs) oh, we have a 20, 30 minute podcast talking to them about their business. Um, We have every single thing to make somebody successful, assuming you bring that skill set I already mentioned. We've got the education. We have a proven VIP marketing system. It works, period. (laughs) And and I got to test that with my new franchise and my new five franchisee members when I launched them, because what are we having them do? Just follow the system. um, And it works really, really well. Go out there and get involved. 
and it works for for lots of people. Um, I see Summer on here. I know I've seen Summer out and about being a world-class VIP at events on LinkedIn, um, and I know she's killing it. So it, it really does work. Um, once you get the client, it's even more important to my mind than finding a client because anyone can find a client. We got to deliver top shelf product and deliver it with white glove service. Um, if I sell you a Lamborghini, but it really was my son's 20-year-old 20 20 Honda and I painted it and tricked you, that's not going to last well. If I sell you a Lamborghini, I got to deliver a Lamborghini. So that's what we you've got if you buy our program, the systems and tools to to deliver Lamborghini. Now, whether you deliver it or not, that's up to you. Um, and then our national community of experts, we share knowledge seven days a week in our community. And it's not any community, it's the number one US network period. And um, we have live calls every week, um, including our Tuesday marketing calls to help you um, find clients if you're newer in the program. Many experts, uh, we'll scroll through these. This was AICPA two years ago, where, as a matter of fact, many of us in this picture, all Dope CFO VIPs, and I think five of us spoke at that event on stage. I think all these people have been on a stage at one place or another. So we do have fun together. You'll find Dope CFO VIP members at events every weekend across the U.S. And so just pick an event and go meet some of these people and hang out with them. Um, more testimonials. Support is invaluable. Um, first client, 84 grand a year. We Again, we want you to get, um, and I believe Nicole's not a CPA, and we've had many non-CPAs in this program land 15 grand a month or more clients um, for client number one. So it, it definitely can be done. You need to, again, deliver great, great product. Um, we, I personally would rather see you... Um, get three to five clients. And even if you don't, if you have one low paying, just keep rotating out that low paying client until you have three high paying clients at that close to seven figure range. It's more fun in my opinion. You can actually deliver the Lamborghini. The more clients you have, the harder it is to deliver that truly um, great model. Okay, the these slides look at like, okay, how do we, this is very appropriate. How do we value the program? We can look at it three different ways. Well, one, I could just cut up the parts and say, well, how much is that part worth? How much is this part worth? In my mind, the way I'll tell you how I value my company, I know that the hundred tools and work papers that are in the program now, and with all the iterations they've had over the years, those are worth, in my opinion, 10x the price I sell them for period. Um, if there was nothing else, not a single other thing in our program, no marketing system, no education, no community, no live calls, no nothing, those tools are worth 10x what I sell them for. And I still get calls today. And I tell people this, that people call me up, hey, Andrew, I've got a dispensary client. I don't want your program. I know about cannabis. Um, I need your chart of accounts and your PBC list or just your chart of accounts. I'm like, great. Send me $3,000. I've got more than 10 hours of time in that chart of accounts file. Send me three grand and I'll send you one Excel file. That is actually how Dope CFO started. I didn't start a program to sell anything to anybody. I'm almost 60. My program started because people like you called me and wanted work papers. And I was like, well, if you want to buy my work paper and I'm charging 300 bucks an hour and I got 10 hours in this work paper, yeah, send me a bunch of money and you'll get an Excel file. That's evolved to where we are today. And that that piece of the program is worth a lot. We, we also give you three... 30 days in our community with live calls, et cetera. Um, 
What do I value it at? So I value personally our entire program definitely close to the six figure mark. And even if I look at it at payback, say you actually did give me a hundred grand, which I know you're not, but say you did, you still could go make that back from one client in one year and maybe even much more than that from one client in one year. So we're I'm beyond confident in our value proposition. I've priced it at 20 grand. That actually is going to go up pretty soon this year. Um we, we hadn't done it already just due to some personal things that I've been dealing with, but um, that's the full price. We offer a humongous discount on our full price um, to not spend endless months and months tracking and chasing people down and marketing to them because I pay my marketing team a lot of money. Um, so if people get on a call with me, if you're qualified, which I will vet, and you like our program, I'm going to say, hey, go vet our program, look at our website, look at my podcast, look at what I'm sending you, make a decision in seven days, yes or no. If it's yes, great, give me seven grand. If it's no, great, have a great a great life. Um, and, and we're good to go. That's the price. The community's free for 30 days, 149 a month afterwards. Opportunity cost, you can do what I did and build the stuff yourself. And you will pull all your hair out and probably spend way more than 100 grand of your time. Um, also, our digital badge program, day 90, you will, these are a, actual digital badges via accreditable.com. The green badge is after 90 days. The black badge is after a year in our VIP program. And you can put this on your, your LinkedIn, et cetera, um, your website, and, and be able to say, hey, I've taken the Dope CFO program. I'm a VIP official member. You can't say you're a Dope CFO or selling our brand. You can't say you, know, you work for me or this company, but you can say you're a member of, of the VIP network, which literally leads the nation. That's a lot of prestige. Um, and the, the companies out there know the name as well. Um, again, we do, there's a ton of benefits in the community. The biggies are our live calls every week and the community seven days a week. Our marketing calls are hugely popular on Tuesdays, um, including yesterday as well. Um, and, and many, many recordings on every topic under the sun from the program to you name it, you can find it. Um, here's some more Kansas CPA in San Fran. Um <laughs> handsome guy. He's very funny. <laughs> um, another Damon's longtime cannabis. He was even in before I was, and it was even teaching and still took my program and, and gives us great review as well. Payback is super simple. If you give us seven grand, um, you should get that back in one month or two months at most from one client. Um, and you certainly can get a client with our program in this industry. If you're not, my first question will be get on the Tuesday call. We're going to find out what you're doing wrong and we're going to make sure you're doing it right. Um, I've never once, not one time when someone came to me and I get very few of these, I have not had one of these in over two years or someone came to me and said, Andrew, I can't get a client. But when they do first question, Oh, Joe, are you on the Tuesday call or Sally? Um, and if you're not, get on that call. And once they get on that call, we figure out what they're doing. And then they go away and they go off serving their, their clients. Investment paying back tenfold. That's what it should. One client for one year could 10x your investment easily. Um, and here's Chip, another good friend of mine, CPA, audit um, audit partner at a big four firm. Um, so great, great um, testimonial from him as well. We have amazing experts in the program, including um, attorneys. I made it. 
three minutes to spare. Any more um, questions, Tyson? Here's where you can you can find out more more um, on the program, and we'll we will wrap up here. And you can always email or message us as well. You've been listening to the Dope CFO Cannabis Accounting Podcast. Every other Monday, we air tips and insights on cannabis and CBD hemp accounting. Make sure you subscribe today and also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube. We're pretty much everywhere for more advice, tips, industry news as well. Um, to find out more about our cannabis and CBD accounting program, visit dopecfo.com and don't forget to be dope.